The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, page 225 in your pew Bibles. I'll be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 20 to get us started this morning. This is the Word of God. It is the truth, and it is a precious gift. May you receive it as such this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zoph, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh where the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. 
They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. This is the word of God this morning. Let's pray. Oh God, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. May you pour out your Spirit upon us this morning, bringing life, bringing illumination to your word, calling all your people to worship you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Three summers ago, June of 2009, my wife and I were preparing for our annual dessert open house to welcome uh, the new families in the youth ministry into the youth ministry. And as we were getting ready, we were expecting to have about 65 people come over to our home, many of them junior high boys and girls. And as we were getting ready for that day, my wife checked out the weather report and it was not good. It's calling for thunderstorms and rain all afternoon and evening. And so we were a little concerned about what might happen if our house was filled with all these junior hires running through our home. And so we gathered our family together and we said, let's pray together. And we prayed to the Lord and we asked him that it would not rain during our open house. But we tried to pray honestly as well and say, whatever your will be done. But as as it turns out, it was raining all afternoon as we're getting ready for the open house, but then in that two-hour window from 6.30 to 8.30, not a drop of rain. As the last person left, the rain returned. And so as everybody left and we gathered our family together, we were feeling particularly blessed. My wife was thankful that we didn't have to have everybody stuffed in our home during those two hours, and, and I thought, well, here's a teachable moment. Let me grab my kids together and talk to them about this. And so we did that. We sat down, and I said, children, God was extra good to us tonight. He answered our prayers exactly the way we wanted him to. And my son Luke, nine years old at the time, just out of third grade, says to me, Dad, God is always extra good to us. The child became the teacher. We can say amen to that, can we not? God is always extra good to us. But we are learning from our children all the time, aren't we? I have another son, Anthony. He's three and a half now. And one of his favorite songs is a song by Shy Lin, hip-hop artist who loves Jesus. And he has a great album called The Attributes of God. And on that album, he has a song called Taste and See, taken from Psalm 34. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I think Anthony's favorite line in that song is the precursor to the chorus. So if you come to our home, you might hear Anthony walking around our house going, yeah, 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 okay, yeah, 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 okay. My favorite line is a little bit further on in the song where it says, God is good all the time, no intervals. Now, we've heard that first phrase before, God is good all the time, but just those two words tacked on at the end, no intervals, puts it in a different perspective. God is extra good to us all the time. There's never a moment Never a break in his goodness towards us. But I wonder this morning, as we come to Hannah's story, do we really believe that? Is that really true in our lives? Or are we delusional? Is this just some cop-out that Christians say 
to bail God out when things don't go well or when supposed bad things happen to so-called good people. I wonder if Hannah believed that God was being extra good to her when she experienced her crisis of faith. Well, as we look at that this morning, I want to simply point out three truths that we can learn from Hannah's encounter with God, from the turning point in her life. And the first one is this. God is sovereign over our suffering. God is sovereign over our suffering. The first section here, verses 1 through 8, we see Hannah's pain. And we see that God was sovereign over her barren womb. And as we look at this story, I want to remind you that this is a true story. Hannah was a real woman with real emotions and real suffering and real pain. And so let's try to put ourselves in her shoes for a moment. Try to empathize with what she's going through. So the chapter begins by introducing us to a man named Elkanah, a man who had two wives. But verse 2 mentions Hannah first, which probably means that there was a time when Hannah was Elkanah's only wife, his first wife. And you wonder what their life was like. What was their marriage like? Were they enjoying life together? Enjoying getting to know one another? Enjoying close companionship and all the blessings and benefits that come with marriage? All except one. They did not enjoy the blessing of children. That seemed to be out of their reach. They were childless. Hannah could not bear children. And then verse 2 tells us that Elkanah's second wife was Peninnah. It says Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. And so it's very likely that the reason Elkanah married Peninnah was because Hannah could not have children. And imagine what that would have been like for Hannah. Now, how did that come up? Elkanah loved his wife, Hannah. They had tried and tried and tried to have children. One night, did Elkanah come to Hannah and say, Hannah, we can try one more time. And if you don't get pregnant this time, I'm going to have to marry another woman so that I can have children. And then what happened? A few weeks later, did Hannah wake up with great despair and bitter disappointment knowing that she had failed once again? And so did she watch as her husband married another woman and did her pain and her suffering increase as she now had to share her husband and the marriage bed with another woman? All because of some deficiency in her, something wrong with her. This is not the way... It's supposed to be. This is not what Hannah had in mind when she got married. But it got worse. You know, how long did it take Peninnah to get pregnant? The Bible doesn't tell us, but was it only nine months later that Hannah looked at her husband and could not miss the unmistakable joy on his face as he welcomed his first child into the world and she knew it wasn't from her but from this other woman? How did Hannah feel on that day? And this scene would repeat itself over and over again over the next several years. As Hannah kept trying to get pregnant, she longed for a child only to fail over and over again. While it seems as if Peninnah was constantly pregnant, bearing multiple sons and daughters for Elkanah. 
Well, at least Elkanah tried to comfort his wife, but not Peninnah. The Bible says Peninnah was her rival. She poured salt on Hannah's open wound, taking every chance to rub it in. And you can imagine the scene. Every year, year by year, as they travel up to Shiloh, so Elkanah gathers his whole family, his two wives, Peninnah, and all her children, Hannah, maybe other relatives and friends. And you can be sure Peninnah is making sure that she positions herself and her children right beside and surrounding Hannah. And what's happening as they're traveling is Peninnah shouting out to Hannah, Oh, Hannah, all my children, it's so hard to keep track of them. I always need to count to make sure I have them all. Hannah, could you please help me count them since you have no children of your own to count? And it must be terrible knowing that God doesn't want you to have children. And Hannah, did you know I'm pregnant again? And our little one's not even a year old yet. Oh, Hannah, this time you must feel when the baby starts to move and kick. It's such a wonderful feeling, and you probably never will get to have that feeling yourself. How she goaded Hannah. Well, Hannah, at least one of us can make Elkanah happy and give him what he wants. How bad did it get? Year after year after year, it went on. Peninnah instigating Hannah, bullying her until she wept and could not, would not eat. Hannah was a real woman with real pain and a real crisis. Her barrenness, her suffering, her inability. I wondered this morning, what's your crisis? What are you suffering? You know, we all suffer in various ways to varying degrees. It's our common lot in life as part of living in a world marred by sin. And maybe you're here this morning and your suffering is the same as Hannah's, as you struggle with infertility. Or maybe you have a child that is sick or one who's rebelling against the Lord and rejecting all that you've taught them. Perhaps it's your own physical pain the diagnosis from a doctor, financial difficulty, the loss of a job, mental illness, lack of sleep, or maybe it's a different kind of suffering altogether, and perhaps one that others might discount, but just as real. Maybe it's a struggle with sin, some temptation that you can't seem to get past, or the broken relationships in your own marriage, in your own family, with someone who used to be a close friend, doubts about your faith. What are you suffering this morning? What is your crisis? And what is the cause of all these things? Where do they come from? Well, in one sense, we can say they are the result of living in a world broken by sin. You know, that could be the answer for for much, perhaps, all of our suffering, but not every womb is barren. Peninnah's wasn't. She received the blessing of childbirth many times. So what's going on here? What's going on in Hannah's story? Why is this happening? You know, I can't stand here this morning and say that I can give all the specific whys to the suffering you may be facing, but Hannah's story does give us insight from God's Word. Ultimately, what was behind Hannah's suffering was the sovereign Lord. Twice in verses 5 and 6, it says, the Lord had closed her womb. God had a purpose in it, a plan 
in Hannah's suffering. This was not happening by chance. This wasn't some random event. And although in the present time it was causing Hannah great suffering, great sorrow, a loving, good, powerful God was behind it and in it and doing something through it for Hannah's good and his glory. We see God is sovereign over our suffering. But do we really believe that? Now, we see that truth clearly throughout the pages of Scripture. You cannot miss it. Perhaps in the Old Testament, it's most clearly seen in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and you might remember the story of Joseph. His own brothers hate him, sell him into slavery. He's forced to leave his family, move to a foreign country, and there he's falsely accused and unjustly thrown into prison. Joseph's suffering is real and deep. Years later when he is reunited with his brothers. And he's in the seat of power, in a sense, where basically he holds their lives in his hand. And they are fearful. And what does Joseph say to them in Genesis chapter 50? He says, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God was sovereign over Joseph's suffering, not only using it for the good of Joseph, but for the saving of many people. We see this principle most clearly, most powerfully at the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ, where God himself entered into our suffering, where the only one who would never need to suffer Jesus Christ himself took upon himself the consequences of our own sin and suffered more than anyone else ever will suffer. And we know this was all part of God's plan. If you remember Peter's sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he said these words, Men of Israel, hear these words. This Jesus delivered up to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. He's telling us that this suffering, that God's own son would be murdered by lawless men, was planned by God. God is sovereign over our suffering. He was sovereign over Hannah's suffering. He was sovereign over Joseph's suffering. He was sovereign over the suffering of his own son. And today he is sovereign over your suffering and over my suffering. See, God is doing something through our suffering that we may not see at the moment. And in the midst of the pain, at the point of crisis, we may not understand. And it may truly bring us real and deep pain and sorrow and grief. But our God can be trusted. He means it for the good of his people and for his own glory. Well, what is that good? No, we don't always see. We may not know. We may not understand. But in Hannah's case, we see an important principle. Her suffering drove her to God. And that's the second important truth we learn from Hannah's story, that God often uses our suffering to drive us to himself. He used Hannah's suffering to drive her to himself. You can see that through her prayer. In the second section here, verses 9 through 20, Hannah's prayer describes how she responds to the crisis in her life. This is her encounter with God. 
Hannah's suffering led her to the temple of the Lord. In the Old Testament, this was a place where you would go to meet with God. So Hannah's suffering led her to the throne of grace, where she could find mercy and grace to help her in her time of need. Notice in verse 11, as she begins her prayer, she addresses her prayer to the Lord of hosts. That's an important name of God. It's the first time that someone addresses the Lord with that name in the Bible. Hannah is praying to the Lord whose rule is universal. He rules over all. He reigns over every army, whether it's in the heavens above or on the earth beneath. He does as he pleases, the Bible says, with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth, and no one can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? See, in her distress, Hannah goes to the one, to the only one, who has the power and the authority to help her, to the one who can do what she cannot do for herself. So Hannah has come to the place where God wants all of us to be, the place of absolute dependence. You know, the height of mankind's sin, the height of our sin, is when we try to live independently of God. This desire, this effort to be free from God as if we were our own gods, as if we were our own kings. But the truth is, not a single one of us can take one breath apart from the mercy of God. We are absolutely dependent upon him for everything. God alone is independent. Throughout this passage, you might notice that the word Lord is used in all capital letters, and you might know or recognize that, that, the, that is the name Yahweh, the great I am, the eternal one, the self-existent one, the one who has existence in and of himself. God alone is independent. We are absolutely dependent upon him. And so Hannah's suffering drives her to God in utter dependence. Her suffering drives her to her knees and she goes to God in prayer. Notice what she does with her suffering. She goes to God in prayer. One pastor said, Hannah brought her tears to church. Verse 10 describes Hannah as being deeply distressed. And as she prayed to the Lord, she wept bitterly. Verse 15, Hannah says herself, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. And so she pours out her soul. She pours out her anguish. And I would say, don't miss this point. The Lord is a God who allows Hannah to do that. He allows her to bring her anguish, her pain, her anxiety, her vexation. He wants us to come to him in our suffering. God can handle your tears. It will not make him angry with you. It will not make him nervous or at a loss for words as if he doesn't know what to say or doesn't know what to do, and it won't make him turn away from you as if he did not care. You may go to God in and with your suffering. The psalmist says, cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous to be moved. Because, you know, what do we often do? We often hold on to our burdens. And maybe we come to the Lord 
and we tell them about our problems, our difficulties, our sufferings, but we want to hold on to them because we want to be in control. We're not sure if God will deal with them the way we want him to deal with them. We're not sure the outcome will be what we want. And so we we hold on to them. We might pray to God about them, but we hold on to them. And so when we're done praying, we haven't really laid our burdens at his feet. And so we still have the same fears and doubts and frustrations as before, the same worries, because we're not really trusting him to sustain us in the midst of our suffering. Hannah casted her burdens on the Lord. She was wrestling with God in prayer, laying her troubles on the Lord, and she cried out in distress until Eli, God's priest, answered her. And she responded in faith. When she got that word from the Lord's priest, notice that she responded in faith before the answer to her prayer actually came about. See, Hannah was not immediately pregnant. She didn't all of a sudden have a baby in her arms. But she believed that God had heard her cry, that he remembered her, that he would answer her, and her countenance, her attitude, her actions were transformed as she walked forward in faith. Verse 18 says, Then the woman, Hannah, went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. So may I encourage you today, Let your suffering drive you to God, not away from him. May it drive you to the Lord, not away from him. You might say, well, I'm not sure how to do that. And I would encourage you to start by looking to the cross, looking to Jesus. It's there that you will find the assurance that God loves you and cares for you and can identify with your suffering and he will stop at nothing at no cost to make it right to bring you healing and peace and to bring you back to himself later on in that song by Shailin Taste and See he has this line God makes it plain through the lamb that was slain he's good God makes it plain through the lamb that was slain. He's good. God makes it plain through the lamb that was slain. He's good. Do we believe that? Paul says it this way in Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do we believe that in our times of trouble? May we meditate on these truths. I encourage you to memorize these promises of God so that the Holy Spirit can bring them to your mind in your time of crisis. Because the challenge in your moment of crisis is this. Will you trust God enough to go to him with your pain in the midst of your despair? By God's grace, Will you be able to look beyond your present circumstances to the cross and fight the fight of faith? Will you trust God's faithfulness? Will you believe his word? Will you rely on his promises? Will your suffering, like Hannah's, drive you to the Lord or will it drive you away from him? Let it drive you to him. Know this, the same God 
who met Hannah in her time of need, invites you to come to him today in your suffering. He invites you to pour out your heart to him, your father, to take your tears to him. He can handle what you cannot. You can wait patiently for the Lord, and he will incline to you and hear your cry. He will incline to you and hear your cry. You can cast your burdens on the Lord, for he does care for you. The Bible says he is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. When our suffering drives us to God, we do taste and see that the Lord is good. We do find him to be our soul's greatest good. And so we can say, along with the psalmist, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. When you come to him, your soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. And when you are driven to God by your suffering, you may even be able to say with the great preacher Charles Spurgeon, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Even our suffering can draw us to Christ. Well, we come to our third and final lesson that we want to meditate on this morning, and that's taken from chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, from Hannah's praise. And here we see that throughout history, God is working his plan, even in our suffering. God is working his plan so his people might worship him. Throughout history, God is working his plan so his people might worship him. Listen to just a portion of Hannah's praise. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and then I'll skip down to verses 9 and 10. But Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Verse 9, he will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. See, Hannah's song here, it's not only a personal song of praise for God's salvation. She is also praising God for the way he rules his world and for the way that it will be when God finally and fully and completely and visibly rules. And this is what Hannah's story is really all about. See, this passage is... This passage in the Bible that we've looked at this morning, it's not primarily about Hannah. This passage is about God and what he's doing. This story is not only a turning point in Hannah's life. This was the beginning of a turning point in God's history of redemption. It tells the story of how Samuel was born. And we can say, yes, God is in the details And he cares about individuals. So on one level, this story is about Hannah and her suffering. But there's more to it than that. Think about it. You know, without Hannah's barren womb, without her suffering, we don't have her pouring out her soul in anguish 
to the Lord. We don't have her prayer. Without that prayer, we don't have her vow. And without that prayer and that vow, we don't have God's answer to that prayer. We may not have God's answer to that prayer. Samuel being born and being given to the Lord. And without Samuel being given to the Lord, we may not have the last judge of Israel who served in this time of transition where he would not only be the judge of Israel but a prophet and priest who would anoint Israel's first king, Saul, and later the second king, David, paving the way for one of David's descendants, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who came to bring us back to God by dying in our place, whom God raised from the dead and who now lives and reigns forever and ever. God was working through this history to make it possible for his people to worship him, to make it possible for you and I to worship him today. So Hannah is taking her place in the drama the drama that's going to find its ultimate fruition and fulfillment in the arrival of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel story. This is what the Bible is all about. So Hannah's story is not given to us so much as an example as it is part of the story of redemption that is going to be completed in God's true anointed king, Jesus. God was working his plan for his ultimate glory in Hannah's life. God is working his plan throughout history to gather people together to worship him, and God is working his plan in your life today. He is indeed extra good to us all the time. Now, God's plan may often involve suffering for his people, but for God's people, that suffering is always temporary. We don't discount the real pain that it brings, the real sorrow and grief and despair that it may bring, but that's tempered by the fact that we realize it is always temporary. And one day, the Lord of hosts who reigns over all will make all things right, and that suffering will end. We consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We know that this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Today in your life, God is working that you might worship him. So what's happening in your life today? Is it driving you to Christ? Is it driving you to worship your God? If so, take heart. One day, that suffering will end. But there's a warning here as well, for this is not a universal promise. The suffering you experience today will either end or it will get worse, much worse. See, the only way you're suffering will not end, will not be turned for your good is if you do not allow it to drive you to Jesus. And if instead you focus on the suffering and you run away from God and reject his king, if that is you, then Hannah's song speaks to you this morning when she says, the God of knowledge will weigh your actions and you will be cut off 
in darkness. And you will be in the dreadful position of being an adversary of the Lord of hosts. And you will be broken to pieces. The Lord will thunder against you in heaven and judge you. And you will be found guilty. And the just punishment that you deserve will be poured out on you for all eternity. And the smoke of your torment will go up forever and ever. And you will have no rest day or night. But beloved, that day does not have to come for you. Today, while you still have life and breath as a gift from God, your maker and your sustainer, you can come to him. Admit your sin, your need for God, and trust in him. Turn to him and trust in the work of his son, Jesus Christ. God's murdered son. God can identify with your suffering. He entered into your suffering so that you would not have to anymore. His murdered son has paid for your resurrection through his obedient life and his own sacrificial death on the cross. And through his glorious resurrection, you can be raised from the grave to be made a son and a daughter of God. This is rock-solid proof Assurance that God is sovereign over your suffering and can and will turn it for your good. Hannah's faith can be your faith today. And if so, her song can be your song. Listen, Hannah is no longer distressed. She's not distressed today. She is no longer being provoked by her rival Her bitter tears have been wiped away. Her crisis has passed. Her pain is gone. Her suffering is over. But one thing has not ended for Hannah, and that is her singing. She is still singing her song of praise today in the very presence of her living Savior, Jesus Christ. And this week, four of our members have joined her. So standing next to Hannah, you have Ron Waltman and Mary Peters, and Betty St. Germain, and Doris Younger, and they are singing their praises to their living Savior, worshiping their King like never before. What about you? Will you join them someday? Is Hannah's faith your faith? If so, her song will be your song. And one day you will join all of God's people gathered around the throne, singing praises to the living King, to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and praise forever and ever. Amen. Father, we are humbled to be able to stand in your presence, to be able to even bow in your presence, to be welcomed into your presence. And we pray that you would Show us that the light of our hearts is to worship you. Humble us, Lord. Break us that we might repent and trust in you. Comfort your people. Grant us faith. Drive us to yourself, our soul's greatest good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.